Uh, tonight we want to look at two parables of Jesus, both surrounding prayer. Luke chapter 11 is what I want you to look at. Luke chapter 11. The actual parables start at verse 5 and continue on through verse 13. But we're going to start with verse 1 because as has been the case in several of these uh, studies on the parables, uh, you have to know the context in which the parable is given in order to help us with the proper interpretation, proper understanding of what is taking place in uh, the parable, the reason why Jesus gives the parable. In this case, this has to do with persistence in prayer. Uh, it's not just about prayer, but it's about being persistent in prayer. What is persistent? That is, you keep asking, you keep going, you, you keep pressing until you get an answer. It is our charge, it is our liberty, because Jesus has said that we can, uh, and he says so in, in, in this passage. It is our liberty to be able to continue to ask Jesus for those things that we desire within his will until he gives us an answer. Now, once he gives us an answer, and of course, if the answer is yes, then everybody's happy. But if the answer is no, then uh, that's the time to accept the will of Christ and move on to something else. Uh, the first verses of Luke chapter 11 deal with what we were taught as children to be the Lord's Prayer, what we have come to better understand and better identify as the model prayer. One day he was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said, Master, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So he said, when you pray, say, Father, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. All right. I know that you're used to hearing it from the King James Version, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, so, so now you've heard it from the King James Version, you ought to feel better now. Uh, but, but, there are several things about this request. And remember, the whole idea is to get to the parables, but you have to lay the foundation to get there. There are several things about this request from the disciples of Jesus that are worthy of note. First thing I want you to see is that the subject of prayer is raised by one of the disciples rather than by Jesus. The text says he was praying in a certain place when he finished. One of his disciples said, Master, teach us to pray. Now, that's very different from how the prayer is given in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, the prayer is included in uh, the first and perhaps the best known discourse of Jesus. We commonly call it the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and he says, when you pray. Don't pray like the hypocrites do who stand out on street corners and pray long prayers and just want to be known for their piety by the way that they pray. He says they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your closet, pray in secret to your father, and your father will reward you openly. And then Matthew says this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So in the Matthew passage, Jesus suggests the model prayer. 
In the Luke passage, it is the disciples who ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. I think that the, that, that the distinction there is important. Why is it that Jesus does not initiate this teaching in prayer? Perhaps it was because he wanted the disciples to conclude on their own how important prayer was. If you see me praying, if you see me constantly praying, if you see me withdrawing from crowds in order to pray, if you see me sending you off while I go up into the hills to pray, then maybe you'll come to the conclusion that prayer is an important thing. Maybe you'll see by my example that, 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 that prayer is significant. Motivation cannot be higher for learning than when the student asks the teacher to teach. You know, sometimes students come into class and they don't want you to do nothing except let the hour pass so they can go to the next class. But when, but when the student comes to the teacher and says, teach us, I want to learn, I want to know, then your motivation, there's no question about where your motivation is. You really want to understand this. They had seen Jesus pray, and they had seen what happened as a result of his prayer. They had seen Jesus pray, and when he prayed, miracles took place. When he prayed, uh, thousands were fed. When he prayed, healings took place. And they wanted to understand the power of prayer. That's the first thing I want you to see. Second thing I want you to see is that Jesus knew the power of a good example was greater than that of an oration. What do I mean by that? Jesus knew that if you see me praying, if you see what comes as a result of prayer, there is that stronger than me telling you, you need to learn how to pray. You really need to learn how to pray. You really need to take the time to understand how to pray. Jesus knew that there was strength, there was power that came from the example of his prayer life. Third thing I want you to see is that the disciple asked Jesus to teach them to pray because he knew that it was an area where they were ignorant and inexperienced. If you don't know something, it would be good if you would ask rather than operate in continued ignorance. The only thing that spreads faster than ignorance is a lie. You, 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 you tell somebody an untruth, and the untruth, I don't know why it is, but untruths move a whole lot quicker than truth. But, but, but right on the heels of lies is ignorance. We don't know, so we just gonna make it up. We have inexperience, and, and, and so we're going to act like we know something that we don't know. The petition shows that the disciple is making an open admission. We don't know how to pray. We have seen you pray. We have seen you pray with regularity, and we have seen the result of prayer. We have seen that John has taught his disciples how to pray, and we're asking that you teach us how to pray. Right about now, I should stop and explain exactly what prayer is. Prayer is communication with God. It is not a monologue. It is not merely us talking to God. But prayer is also allowing God to talk to us. If you're the only one doing the talking, you're in bad shape. How do I know when God is praying? Be still and allow the Lord to speak to you. Don't be so quick to get up after you told the Lord everything 
that you want to say. Allow, settle there for a little while. And allow the Lord to speak to your spirit. Allow the Lord to speak to your heart. Prayer is communication with God. Prayer is us talking to God and God talking to us in such a manner that we know that it is God who is talking. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We have the indwelling, infilling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So that when God speaks to us, the Holy Spirit within us helps us to interpret what God is saying to us. And this is important. Because if we don't engage in prayer, then we have no relationship with the Father. Prayer is not the singular way in which you talk to God, in, in which you receive from God, but it is one of the most powerful ways, and it is one of the most personal ways that you receive from God. We, we receive from God through worship experiences. We receive from God through Bible study experiences. But a more personal, more intimate way, and a more powerful way, is through prayer. Because as you pray privately, as you pray to God within your own spirit, not, not, not that churchy prayer, oh God, our help in ages past and our hope for years to come. No, not, not that prayer, but the prayer that we pray in our own spirits, in our own hearts, when it's just us and God. That prayer has power when we receive from God that which he has said to us. So he teaches them how to pray. And we call it the model prayer, not the Lord's prayer, because it contains elements of what our prayer lives should include. When you pray, say, Father. Now I could stop right there. That is perhaps the most radical thing that Jesus teaches about prayer. Jesus speaking to Jewish people who were raised as Jews. People were never taught to refer to God as Father. In fact, they would not even use the name of God. Some of the writers of the New Testament who were all Jewish except Luke. Some of the writers of the New Testament and some of the scribes who uh, copied the ancient Hebrew scripture, what we commonly call the Old Testament, whenever they had to write the name of God or Yahweh or Elohim, they would break the pen or the pencil or the writing instrument, whatever it was that they used, after they wrote the name God so that it could never be used again. That's how holy they thought the name of God was. And yet Jesus says, when you pray, call God Father. It is a radical shift in thinking about the power of prayer. The relationship that we have with God is not intended to be the relationship of the created with the creator, but it is intended to be the relationship of the child with the parent. We are the children. God is the parent. And so Jesus says, when you pray, start by saying, Father. Now, after he says that, he says, reveal who you are. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Reveal who you are. The, 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 the kingdom of God is the goal of every Christian. We told you a couple weeks ago when we were uh, looking at a different parable. The kingdom of God is not simply a future hope. The kingdom of God is intended to be something that we experience from the moment 
we accept Christ as our Savior. You are already kingdom citizens. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're already in the kingdom. I, I know how some of us have been taught to pray about, especially when you get to the end. When I come to the end of my journey and the road runs out anywhere in your kingdom. I understand that, and I know where it comes from. But I also know that that's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches that I'm all, kingdom citizenship, citizenship over there is a foregone conclusion because I'm already a member of the kingdom on this side. And every Christian ought to believe that. If God is our Father, if God is more than our creator, but is our compassionate and kind and caring and providential and powerful father, then we are already members of the kingdom. Reveal who you are. Set the world right. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The world can't be right unless God's will is being done. You can't do what you want to do and think that the world is set right. God has standards, and it's up to us to meet the standard. Part of the standard has to do with how we treat one another. Well, all you got to do is follow the, the, the rest of the prayer. Keep us alive with three square meals. Give us this day our daily bread. It is not, it is not for us to expect abundance. I, I know what these folk teach and preach about abundance. But that's not what God teaches. That's not what God promises. The promise of God is every day I will supply for your need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Matthew chapter 6, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Your father knows what you need before you even ask it. Seek first the kingdom, its righteousness, and all other things will be given to you also. So then what am I to worry about? Today. Give me today. Give me day by day our daily bread. I can't emphasize this point enough. It is God's desire that we learn how to rely on him as our provider and not simply to rely on what he has provided. We get caught up in what he has provided, and we, we, we want to, it's human. We want to store it. We want to put it away. We want to make sure that we have enough for a rainy day, because a rainy day is going to come. I said this to, 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 to the noon Bible study. Uh, God told the children of Israel every morning, I'm going to send manna out, and, and you all going to go, and you're going to gather the manna. That now, do not gather more than you need for the day. Because if you do, it's going to spoil. Take just enough for today. Why would God do that? Because he wants you to depend not on the manna, but on the one who provides the manna. Elijah comes upon the widow at Zarephath and, and, and says, what have you got? And she says, just enough meal to make a cake for me and my boy. And, and, and he said, take a little bit of that first. And give it to me. Then you make for you and, and, and your boy. And every day, God's going to provide for you. Now, again, I, I said to the New Bible, said, can you imagine how it must have looked when you used everything in the barrel 
on Wednesday, used it all. Took the barrel and knocked it over and knocked out every little crumb that you could knock out of it. And you made your cake for Wednesday. And then you went to sleep. And then you woke up Thursday morning. And you went to what you thought was an empty barrel. But there was enough there for another day. That's what God wants from us. The faith to rely on him. To rely on his ability to give us day by day. Now, here he uses food as an example. Give us three square meals. But this is not simply about food. This is about give us what we need to make it today. Don't worry about the patience you need for tomorrow. Just ask the God to give you patience for today. Don't worry about the forgiveness that you're going to need for tomorrow. That's where you forgive somebody else. Just ask God to give you the ability to forgive today. Don't worry about the mercy you need to show to somebody next week. Just ask God to allow you to show mercy today. God is a day-by-day God. And he expects us to be day-by-day disciples to trust in him. Give us three square meals. This is the, this is the part that, 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 that bothers everybody. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. This is not keep us forgiven with you and or forgiving others. This is not keep us forgiven with you or forgiving others. This is keep us forgiven with you and. That means that what's behind the and is a companion to what's in front of the and. Y'all remember conjunction, junction? (laughs) Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Picking up phrases and clauses and sentences. That, that, that's, that's what he's doing. He is connecting what comes behind the conjunction to what came before. What came before? Keep us forgiven. Forgive us our debts. Y'all like that. Forgive us our trespasses. But then he, he has something behind the end. And behind the end, it is as we forgive others. In other words, and and he makes this point in Matthew, you can't ask God to forgive you if you are unwilling to forgive others. All this falls into this whole notion of reveal who you are. God is a forgiving God, and I thank God for that because I have a whole lot that I need to be forgiven But God has a standard that says, if you're going to ask me to forgive you, then you have to forgive the one who has wronged you as well. Let me make you a little bit more upset. You have to forgive as easily as he forgave. This, 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 I'm going to forgive in a little while. I'm going to forgive after I've gotten over it, after I've, I've, I've allowed myself to, to be soothed from my hurt. God doesn't forgive us that way. God's forgiveness is immediate. When you ask, he forgives. In point of fact, if you look at the, the, the crucifixion, you're forgiven even before you had sense enough to ask. If, if we believe the Isaiah passage that says he was wounded for your transgression, that means that before you even had sense enough to ask, 
you already forgiven. Yes, sir. Yes. As often. And, and, and I know that's problematic for some folk. All right, I, I forgave them yesterday, and here they come. They did the same thing today. Got to forgive them again. All of this is part of revealing who you are. Again, I'm really not here to talk about the prayer. I'm here to talk about persistence. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. There's another conjunction. Keep us safe, not just from the devil, but keep us safe from ourselves. Well, well, here's the point. The point is, often we blame the devil for stuff that ain't the devil's fault. It's our fault. We need to quit talking about what the devil made you do. The devil has no power other than to tempt you, to whisper in your ear. The devil doesn't make you cuss somebody. The devil whispers in your ear and say, you ought to cuss them. Two different things. The devil doesn't make you clench your fist and strike somebody. The devil says, somebody ought to hit him. And it might as well be you. That's the only power that Satan has. In point of fact, the, the term is not really Satan, it's Satan. And it means the tempter. That's his power, to tempt. His power is to utilize situations, utilize opportunities, and whisper in your ear to do the wrong thing. But if you, in fact, do the wrong thing, that's on you. Satan whispered to Jesus, I know you're hungry. You've been out here for 40 days and 40 nights and you ain't had nothing to eat. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Now, question. If Satan wanted Jesus to eat bread, why didn't he make bread for Jesus to eat? The answer is simple. He couldn't do it. take you up on, on, on a high pinnacle and, and says, why don't you jump off? Because the scripture says he's given angels responsibility to catch you before you fall. Well, question, if he wanted him to jump off, why didn't he push? Couldn't do it. He doesn't have that kind of power. James tells us how much power the devil has. The answer is none. Because James says, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And so in the prayer, he says that I need you to keep us safe, not just from the devil, but keep us safe from ourselves. Because more often than not, our sin is because we wanted to do it anyway. And all we need is, is for somebody to give us permission to do what we already wanted to do. Keep us safe from thinking evil thoughts. Keep us safe from, from, from evil ideas. Keep us safe from evil uh, behavior. And keep us safe from the devil. Okay, well, that's the prayer part. And, and as we said, in, in Matthew, Jesus jumps on the forgiveness aspect. And, and he says, if you... Don't forgive men their sin. Your father will not forgive your sin. But in Luke, Luke records a different emphasis. He goes from the prayer 
to talking about being persistent in prayer. Then he said, imagine what would happen if you went to a friend in the middle of the night and said, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. An old friend traveling through just showed up, and I don't have a thing on hand. The friend answers from his bed, don't bother me. The door's locked. My children are all down for the night. I can't get up to give you anything. But let me tell you, even if he won't get up because he's a friend, if you stand your ground, knocking and waking all the neighbors, he'll finally get up and get you whatever you need. Here's what I'm saying. Ask and you'll get. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will open. Now, everybody understands ask, seek, knock. What I want you to understand is that there's a caveat on that. You can't just ask for anything. You can't just seek anything. And you can't just knock on anybody's door. What you ask has to be within the will of the Father. What you seek has to be within the will of the Father. And the door that you need to be knocking on is the Lord's door. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he stretches out on the ground. And it says that the weight of what was about to happen to him was so great that sweat like great drops of blood fell from his brow. And Jesus asked, he sought, he knocked, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from, from, from me. Now, everybody keys in on the let this cup pass. You miss the point if you go by the if it be possible. Jesus, God's Messiah, Jesus, God's only begotten son, said, there are things that I can ask, and there are things that I can't ask. And it all depends on whether or not it's possible, whether or not it is permissible. And I recognize that if I ask for an impermissible thing, I got to fix that. And so he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This, th this idea of just universal asking of anything that you want, and God is going to give it to you, that's not what Scripture says. That's not what the Bible teaches. But the persistence aspect of it is stay there till you get an answer. If somebody comes knocking on the door at midnight and you're already in bed and everything is already put away, he says, they will continue to knock. And sooner or later, you're going to get up to answer. Not he says, not because you're his friend. But I want you to stop knocking on my door. I want you to find someplace else to go. I got... Two dogs, y'all know about my dogs. I, I got Samson and Delilah. Well, Samson don't say no whole lot. Samson is quiet. Delilah makes a whole lot of noise. And usually between 2.30 and 3 o'clock, every morning, without fail, Delilah starts moving around. Hardwood floors in the bedroom. You saw him, click, 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 click. and then and, and then you saw him. Mm. I don't feel like getting up at two thirty. I get up early, but two thirty is early even for me. I'll yell out, "Be still!" That might last for three seconds. 
And then it starts all over again. And then if I don't move fast enough, Delilah will jump up on the bed and jump right in my chest and say, woo, woo, woo. Now, I don't feel like getting up. I have found my warm spot. I am where I want to be. And the alarm is going to go off in a little while. But you know what? I get up because I don't want that dog doing what it's doing anymore. And so every morning I get up and I put the dog out. Now somebody's going to say, well, why don't you put the dog out before you go to bed at night? Because if you leave the dog out, then the dog starts barking in the whole neighborhood. <laughs> and then you start getting phone calls. Do something with that dog of yours. Persistence. Persistence. Keep asking. Keep knocking until you get an answer. The, 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 the persistence that he talks about in the first parable has to do with one's request of a friend. But the persistence that he asks, that, that he lifts up in the second parable, has to do with one's persistence with a parent. Don't bargain with God, verse 10. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your little boy asks for a serving of fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? If your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a spider? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. And don't you think the father who conceived you in love will give the Holy Spirit when you ask him? Now, I want you to, 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 to see that very, very clearly. Because these TV preachers, will tell you that when you ask, God is duty-bound to give you what you ask for. And they're usually talking about something of a material nature. Money, housing, cars, clothes, job, relationships. Give me the man I want. Give me the woman I won't. That's usually what, what, what they're talking about. And they tell you, if you send a $58 seed and plant it, then God is going to give you what you want. God is going to give you the desire of your heart. But I want you to read exactly what it says. Look at the last part of the passage. And don't you think the father who conceived you in love will give the Holy Spirit when you ask him. So that when Jesus talks about persistence here, when he talks about persistence in prayer, when he talks about praying within the will of the Father, praying within the will of the Father is not asking for anything material. Praying within the will of the Father is asking for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to be made manifest in our living. He's specific about it. And if you think this is just the message version, go back and read it from the King James Version. Go back and read it from the New International Version. Go back and read it from any version that you want. It's going to talk about the Spirit. Now, you have to get all the way through there before you see what he's talking about. But he's talking about asking, seeking, knocking, desiring the Holy Spirit, nothing material, nothing personal, nothing that will puff you up. Why would Jesus say that we need to be persistent in asking for the Holy Spirit? Because he knows that the Holy Spirit is the thing that we need the most. You can't do what you have been called to do without the presence of 
of the Holy Spirit in your life. In the noon Bible study, we, we have been discussing uh, uh, various aspects of the life of Samuel. And today's study dealt with Samuel and his relationship with Saul when he was uh, 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 sent, well, when, when, he, when it was revealed to him by God that Saul was going to be uh, the first king of Israel. And the text says in 1 Samuel chapter 10 that after Samuel sent Saul's servant on ahead, and it was just Samuel and Saul, Samuel took out a vial of oil, a flask of oil, and he anointed Saul with the oil. And then he kissed him. And then he told him that you are the king of Israel. The anointing with the oil was significant because it meant that the presence of God was with Saul. And that Saul couldn't do anything absent the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the point that we made in that Bible study was just like Saul can't do nothing without the Holy Spirit, just like Saul can't lead God's people without the Holy Spirit, you and I, who are the church, cannot fulfill God's requirements of us in his world absent the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so he says he will give the Holy Spirit when you ask him because the Holy Spirit is an essential. Saul was to be different from everybody else. All the other kings acted in their own authority. But Saul acted in God's authority. All the other kings did what they thought was best. Saul couldn't do anything until God told him what to do. And don't you know that the same thing is true for us? We are to be persistent in our prayer lives in seeking the presence of the Holy Spirit because it is the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes it possible for us to do everything else. There are five ministries of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. There is baptism. Well, there is regeneration. That is, you're born again. Then there is baptism, and then there is sealing, and then there is indwelling, and then there is infilling. Regeneration, as we just said, means that you have been born again. You have experienced the new birth. Baptism means that you have been immersed in the Holy Spirit. You have been cleansed. The whole purpose of water baptism is to symbolize cleansing, that, that the Holy Spirit cleans us and equips us for the work that is ours to do. Sealing, S-E-A-L-I-N-G. We are sealed. We are marked by the Holy Spirit. He, God puts his mark of With the presence of the Holy Spirit, God puts his mark of ownership on us. Jesus says, I have lost no one that you have put into my hand. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit is a deposit in our lives, guaranteeing that which is coming. That's why I ain't worried about going to hell, because I've got the Spirit. And the Spirit is God's deposit that guarantees. What better guarantee can you have than the guarantee that comes from God? I have a guarantee that when I die, the moment I die, I'm going to be ushered into the presence of God. That's what sealing does. Indwelling means that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts. And he never leaves us. Jesus said on the night before he was crucified that I'm going to send another comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you forever. And then filling. That means that the power of the Holy Spirit reign supreme in our hearts. So when we ask for the Holy Spirit, this is what God will give to us. He will give to us the, the, that part of him, that part of the Godhead that cleanses, that, that, that regenerates, that cleanses, that seals, 
that indwells, and that infills. And he says, this is what you are to persistently ask for. And somebody's going to say, well, why do I need to persist in it? Because of those five ministries, while four are permanent, one can be lost. And the one that can be lost is the infilling of the Holy Spirit, where God is in control, where Christ sits on the throne of your heart. And so you have to persist in prayer because you want the Holy Spirit to always be in charge. You don't ever want a time when you're in charge. Because I guarantee you, if you're in charge, you're going to mess the whole thing up. You do not belong to yourself, and you do not belong to one another. You belong to God. And so our persistence in prayer is designed for us to constantly ask God to reign on our hearts. Do you want to know how fast we can remove God from the throne of our hearts? Turn to Matthew chapter 16. When Je- I'm sorry, verse 13. When Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? They replied, some think he's John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. He pressed them. And how about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus came back. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself, let you in on this secret of who I really am. That's a big commendation. God spoke to you. God revealed to you who I am. Skip over to verse 21. Then Jesus made it clear to his disciples that it was now necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, submit to an ordeal of suffering at the hands of the religious leaders, be killed, and then on the third day be raised up alive. Peter, which Peter? The same Peter. Peter took him in hand, protesting. Impossible, master. That can never be. But Jesus didn't swerve. Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. What happened? That's what you ought to be asking. What, what happened that, that, that Peter went from you are the Christ, the son of the living God, to, Lord, that ain't going to never happen to you? What happened was when he said, you are the Christ, God was in control. And when he said, it's never going to happen to you, Peter was in control. Because Satan whispered in Peter's ear and said, tell him that ain't going to happen. Tell him he don't know what he's talking about. And how many of us are just obliged to do whatever Satan whispers in our ear to do? The reason why we have to constantly, repeatedly, always ask, persist in asking for the presence of the Holy Spirit because it only takes a moment when the Spirit is not in control for us to do and say and think terrible things. For us to to sin against God. And so... If we don't constantly seek, at some point we'll start to think that it's all because of us. That we're just that wonderful. That we're just that holy. That 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 it's impossible for us to fall into sin. Oh, that's that's way back in my rearview mirror. I, I ain't that no more. You ever seen folk who used to say, 
I used to be that. And it kind of raises up again. I, I, I've told y'all before, my, my grandmother used to say I had to lay my religion down. Usually that meant she was going to cuss somebody out. I just laid my religion down for a second. If you persist in prayer, you won't ever have a moment where you have to lay your religion down. Think about Jesus. Think about all that he endured on our behalf. And yet, he never said an accusatory or threatening or sinful word. In fact, he remained silent. And when he did speak from the cross, the first words out of his mouth were not cursings, but was a prayer of intercession. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus teaches the disciples to pray. And in the Lucan account, he emphasizes the importance of consistency and persistence in our prayers. Knowing that if we fail to be persistent, we run the risk of forgetting where our blessings come from. We're 10 minutes early. May we stand together, please. We're going to sing a verse of Just As I Am without one plea. And if there is one, we invite you to come. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I Repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. You all have a good evening.